Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. It's good to see everybody. Um, I wanted to, I wasn't sure. So yeah, there was like, how many Christmas messages can you get out of Luke chapter 2? Um, and so I'm only going to preach two verses. Well, I'm not preaching two verses. I'm introducing the two that are my favorite from that particular chapter. And then we're moving on over to a prophetic book in Isaiah, Isaiah 41. But here's the two verses. Um, no, I didn't, I didn't put it in my notes. Here we go. All right, here we go. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That was the message that the heavenly host shared with all of the world. It says that they said that. The Greek word is lego. Easy to remember, right? Lego. And it actually means uh, to say, to affirm, to teach, to exhort, to point out or to relate in words. Like, I couldn't imagine, like, I don't know when these angels were created, but there was a long time when they were just waiting with anticipation for this moment to take place so that they can affirm, say, proclaim, relate with words that this is Christ. God in the flesh, he and, he and he came to give peace on earth and goodwill to all of mankind. I just love that. just love it. Bill Vanderbush posted on Facebook, I think it was yesterday, a fourth century theologian and what he had to say about this particular day. And I thought I'd read it. It's just a sentence or two. It says, God is now on earth and man in heaven. On every side, all things commingle. I think that particular word is why Bill Vanderbush posted it, because he likes words. Though being the impassable word, he became flesh, that he might dwell amongst us. He became flesh. He did not become God. He was God. Wherefore, he became flesh, so that he, whom heaven did not contain, a manger would this day receive. I just think that's an awesome descriptor of what took place. God came and changed everything. He changed the way that we relate to God. No longer, see, that peace on earth is not peace between mankind. We always have wars. We always fight with each other. But there's no more war. There's no more separation. There's no more chasm between us and God. He's like, boom, I'm taking care of it. Now you can relate with me directly. No more curtain, no more separation, no more void between us and God. If we have anything that we need of, go to him. If we have anything that we want to talk to the very one who created you, there is now a way and it's through God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And that changed everything. 
So one of the things in the Bible that I love to talk about, or I love to like, um, kind of like do a study on is prophecies. Because prophecies is the one thing in the word of God that proves that it came from God. Because no one else can predict what's going to happen other than God. A prophecy is simply something that is uh, stated now in the present about what is going to happen in the future. And in, it was in the year 2010, they did a um, kind of like, a, like a, an expose on how many books were published in the world. There was like over 100 million books that were published, but none of them compared to the Bible, especially in regards to prophecy. The Bible is one quarter to one, thir- one, quarter to one third prophetic. It literally tells you about what's going to happen. And it's, there's like 18, over 1,800 prophecies in the Bible. And Jesus himself fulfilled 300 of them when he came and lived and died and rose again. And it is like, it's a proof positive that this is the word of God. And Isaiah chapter 41, not your typical Christmas or Christmas Eve message, is prophetic in nature. Interesting about prophecy is oftentimes it's done in a kind of a puzzle. It's done like in a symbolic way. It's not just a list of items. It's not like this is going to happen on this date, this is going to happen in the future, this is going to happen. No, it's actually written in a way that the church will know the mysteries of the kingdom and the unchurched will not. God's people will know the mysteries of what is happening, but if you're not part of the part of his kingdom, that's why Jesus spoke in parables, by the way. His friends asked him, why do you speak like that? It's like confusing. It's confusing to us. And he says, because the mysteries of the kingdom were for us and not for them. You have to seek it out. You have to find out what God is saying. And when you do that, it's like a spiritual Easter egg hunt. Like you like find that egg, you find that morsel of truth, and it becomes like, trust me, if I gave you a list of things, learn these things, it would not really seep into your soul. But if I gave you clues, a spiritual scavenger hunt, and you were able to find this truth, you'll never forget it again. And that's God's plan. And he wrote in a prophetic way in Isaiah 41. And the cool part about the way it's written is it's done in such a poetic way that you might not actually grab hold of all of the things. And that's the beauty of the Bible. I've been reading the Bible for years and years and years, and I'll, I'll find a verse, and then like, bang. It's like you never never saw that before, right? You, ever, you know what? How can, you guys need to say amen. You need to say shake. You need to preach. Yeah, it's all good. It's like this is participatory time. It's not like you just sit there and be like, how long is he going for? Uh, and stuff will flow out of you that's on the inside that maybe Crisp uh, got a gift from one of you guys. Uh, super cool uh, picture of a, of a lion and a lamb in the same uh, frame. 
awesome. It just conjures up all sorts of like goosebumps when you look at this picture. And she revealed it. Look what I got, you know. And instantly a verse uh, came into my mind. And it was, um, as a shepherd seeks out his flock in the days in which he is amongst the scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from where they were scattered on a dark and cloudy day. Where did that verse come from? Somewhere in Ezekiel. I don't even remember where. But it just like flowed out when I saw it. And I was like, oh. Well, what's that mean? And that's popped up like three times over the next four or five days. And it's, it's been like very powerful uh, in my mind about where we are at as a church and where we are heading and, and what that all means. Um, it's still being revealed, but that's the word of God. And in Isaiah chapter 41, it's kind of like I was reading somebody else's depiction on it. And I like the way they described it. They described it like as a as a heavenly courtroom scene. And in this courtroom, like God calls this this court to order. And as he calls it to order, he's basically like uh, inviting all of the false gods and all of the idols that are in the world to come and present your case. And we will see who is really God. I love that. And God's first evidence that he is the real God, is Jesus himself. That's pretty good evidence. Let's, let's read some of this, even though it's in poetic form. Isaiah chapter 41 starts out this way. Keep silence before me, O coastlands. Some versions say islands. It actually means idols or demons or false gods. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. That's the heavenly bailiff saying, hear ye, hear ye. I'm calling this court into order. And then he talks about how let the people speak. Do you know you and I are part of the evidence of God being God? You know, when they came against Paul and said, who is this man that ministers this gospel, this gospel of grace that we've not heard before. Who is he that he would, should come and preach to us? And you know what his evidence was in um, Second Corinthians? He says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. We are evidence that God is God. Just his creation. You know, I oftentimes will use that when I'm ministering to people who don't believe in God. I'll be like, how did you even get here? How are you even created? Was it just like coincidental, like amino acids just kind of like got, you know, spewed out of, I don't know, Mars or something? Okay. <laughs> so God calls this court to order. Listen to what he says next. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called to him, called to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as the dust to his sword? Who is this righteous one 
some people had said it might be Abraham. Some people said it might be Cyrus. I can test to you, and I know I'm right. It's Jesus himself. God's evidence in the courtroom of heaven to prove that he is the one. His first exhibit A is Jesus Christ come to earth and delivered his people from ruin. That's our God. That's our Lord. So good. You know, he, he actually like uh, almost baits the enemy to come. And you present your case. I'm just going um, back and forth. Uh, because I want to get to a section in the middle that talks about us, talks about his church, talks about his people. But in uh, verse 21, he's talking to the um, idols. Oh, by the way, before we even get there, let me read a couple of verses starting in verse 5, because it's like even the demons also use mankind as their evidence too. It says the coastlands, meaning false gods, sought and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. I I will testify to you this day that if your God needs a man to solder certain legs on it so that he doesn't fall down, that's a false god. Our God is way above. He's almighty, all-powerful. He doesn't need us to, like, hold him up so that he doesn't fall down. And then he says to the false uh, gods in verse 21, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. What he's saying is only I can tell you the future. Only I can prophesy. If you think that you could tell the, the future, prove it. Present your case. Show me that you're a God. And guess what? There's only one God. There's only the three in one. There's only the Lord. And Jesus came as exhibit A, as evidence that he is God. And what what does that all mean to you and me? And the reason I'm laying down this scene in kind of like a, kind of a, you know, kind of a structural way is because I want you to believe what God says about you. It's because we're going to now read what he says prophetically about his people, about his church. And I want you to believe it. And if you know that every single thing God says comes to pass, comes to fruition, then you also should know that what he says about you will come to fruition. He said he would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. He said that he would ride in on the city on a donkey, and he was. He said that he would pour his blood out as being stabbed on the side, and he was. He said that he would minister to the Gentiles, and he did. He said that he would do all of these things, and he did every single thing. Over 300 things that he could not predict. He said that the soldiers would take his clothes and cast lots to see which one would be able to receive them. He couldn't predict that other than he's God. 
He said all of these things. He said that he would heal the blind eyes and open the deaf ears and raise the dead. He said that he would do all of these things, and he did. God, only God can do that. Years ago, we were um, serving in this church, and our, our kids were toddlers and little, and they used to put on plays for us. Like Chris and I would go out on a date one, you know, somewhere, and, and then we'd come, they'd get a babysitter or something, and then we'd come back and take the babysitter home, and, and if they were still awake, say, we put a play together. And one time I remember this, that they put a play together about Jesus and about how he was raised from the dead. And, and they quoted a scripture, and I don't know if they must have learned that in Sunday school or what, but they said, he's not here. He is risen. And then they followed it up with, just like he said he would. And I just love that because that scripture was just like he said, only he could say that. So here's what it says about you and I. Look at verse 8. It says, but you, Israel, are my servant. I'm not going to go into detail about how you could be considered Israel, but you've been grafted in. Remember when I said that prophecy can be poetic and have multiple, like, layers of truth? Uh, The first original layer of truth in this is about the nation of Israel. But then just dig a little bit deeper, and it's about those that have been adopted in, too. We've all been adopted. You're adopted. Our oldest grandson is adopted. And I love, because Randy and Aaron always tell him, you're adopted just like Jesus. I love that. And you and I, we're adopted too. We're adopted into the Abrahamic, Abraham's covenant. We're, we're adopted into his kingdom. We're adopted in to Israel's, to the nation of Israel. It says, you're my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Okay, let's just personalize this right now. You, do you believe this about you? When he says it about the church, do you believe it about you? But guess what? You're chosen. You were chosen. If you're adopted, you're chosen. I, I remember hearing that. I, I was reading uh, about like a, an, a school playground argument between two kids. Well, you're adopted. It was, like, it was like a slam. It was like a put down on this kid that was adopted. He said, yeah, my parents chose me. I'm like, yeah, that's a good response. <laughs> if you're not adopted, you didn't, your parents didn't have a choice. You... God had a choice, and he chose you. You're chosen. The descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. He chose you. He will not cast you away. Oh, yeah, but you don't know what I did yesterday. doesn't matter. He knew before you did it. He knew the end from the beginning. He's prophetic. He knows all of the bad choices you're going to make. He knows all of the sins that you're going to commit, and yet he still chose you. You're adopted. You're chosen. You're in. Verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
If you have not memorized any scripture, that might be a good verse to memorize as your first verse to memorize. God is with you. Remember when we were first in, called into the ministry at Cambridge Springs and awesome church, Baptist church there, loved the pastor. And uh, I don't know, we were in our late 20s, I believe. And I remember it was like second or third week of being there associate pastor at this particular body. And I remember walking into this sanctuary. And, uh, I mean, there was, it was kind of a holy moment, like God was there. And it was just like, and I felt the pressure. I, I was looking around at the congregation, and, and I literally had these thoughts, like every single one of these people are more righteous than me. It's like, man, these are awesome people. How could I be called a pastor to this group of people? And instantly, this verse was like, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. I am with you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, and I will not let harm come to you. And when that came into my, my spirit, it was like, okay. I'm not here representing Al Gernovich. I'm here representing Jesus Christ, the Lord. I'm one of his vessels. I'm one of his servants. I've been chosen. Woo! I've been chosen to do this particular calling at this particular time at this particular hour, just like you've been chosen. And he will not cast you away. God's that good. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing and those who strive with you shall perish. Remember, the first pro prophecy is ascribed to Israel itself. Makes me think of what's going on right now. The war over there in, in Israel. There, there, it won't come. Israel will not be defeated. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Anytime, anywhere, whatever's going on in your life, you could just say, Fear not, because God is with me. And if you could take that whole... See, that verse 10 was always there. But when the enemy whispered something into my ear and I was able to pull that out and lean on that, that became alive for me at that particular moment. These scriptures are here so that we could take hold of them and bring them alive at any particular moment that we can lean on them, hold, hold them and take, it, take them for its full value. You've been chosen and he will not cast you away. He will hold you in his righteous right hand and he will not let harm befall you. And then it says, and I, I actually really love this part. If I was going to put a title on this particular message, it would be Worms with Teeth. Because this is what we're getting into. He's talking about his people. He's talking about you. And he calls us a worm. I kind of like that. And the reason why I like that is because there is nothing that we could add to the table. 
There is, you are not chosen. You are not grafted in because he needs your talent. Because he, he needs your skills. That's not why. He literally, compared to God, we're worms. You know? My dad is the most unathletic person in the world. Just saying. Everybody looks at me, especially if I do something well athletically, and they're like, hey, how athletic was your mailman? Like, because, like, you're not your, that sounded really bad. We got a mailman right here. Sorry. Milkman. My dad was always, every single time they were on the playground, he tells the story. Every single time they chose teams, you, you're on my team. You, you remember that? He was always the last one chosen every time. He made one basket in his whole life playing basketball. He made one hoop. It was in the wrong hoop, by the way. He scored one basket for the wrong team. And nobody ever chose my dad. And God did not choose you because you have anything to offer. God plus zero is everything. God plus you is nothing. Like, we don't add anything to his team. He already knows he's got the victory. He's the victory. But he chose us because he wants us to take part in that victory with him. So don't think that, okay, God needs me. We need him. We're just worms. But, get this. Let me read the rest of that prophetic verse. It says, Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. Let me just pause there for a second. because It's, it's interesting that he calls them Jacob and Israel. In the same sentence. Because Jacob means deceiver, supplanter, tricky. Not righteous at all. But then when he wrestled with God, he got his name changed to Israel, which means governed by God. You can, you, we're all worms, but we can't, be, we can't be who he's called us to be until we've had a moment of wrestling with him. When we've wrestled with God, he changes our destiny. He changes our name. And he literally changes our character when we, when we wrestle with him. And sometimes it takes a wrestling. Sometimes those that have wrestled the longest become the greatest servants. Sometimes, I mean, I, I was, I'm an easy sell. I mean, I was 18 years old. Somebody presented the gospel. I'm like, yeah, that's God. Okay, I'm in. Other people will fight and fight and fight. They want to they be their own God. And eventually, they get touched. They get a limp. And they say, okay, I submit. And once you submit to God, you went from being a deceiver, a supplanter, a, a tricky one, to... Uh, now I'm governed by him. Once that takes place, it says, I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. We become a worm 
with sharp teeth. I just like that. It's, it's symbolic for having power. You can't really have power in the kingdom until you've been low as a worm. When you've rolled around in the mud for a little while and then you get your name changed and you say, okay, I submit to you, and now you're governed by God, you're given sharp teeth to be a threshing floor to actually go around and prove who God is. We get to prove him. This is the courtroom scene in heaven. This is what he's like prophetically you know, exclaiming to the whole world. Bring forth all your idols. Solder things, solder legs on the side so that they don't fall over. Prove to me who you are. And then he says to his own church, to his own people, he says, you are my evidence. Jesus is exhibit A, but we're exhibit B. And we get to step up and say, yeah, I'm just a worm. But he gave me power. He gave me sharp teeth. Now I get to go around and thresh out all the things that don't belong. But you can't do that unless you get low. It's like a regular thing. Chris and I were talking this morning about how there's so so much like warfare going on right now. We got a lot of people that are struggling with sickness. We got a lot of people that have broken relationships. We got a lot of people that are that are dealing with very big, very heavy things in their lives. We got some people that don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We got people that are struggling uh, financially, struggling marriage-wise. We've got people that are uh, struggling with um, joy, uh, feeling depressed, feeling downtrodden, feeling defeated, feeling down. Guess what? You're in the exact spot you need to be, O worm, Jacob. Because when, when you get down low, it gives him opportunity to give you teeth. And you can bite the ear off of Evander. I mean, you could bite the ear off of the enemy. And there's no referee saying, no, don't do that. We're going to win. We've already, already been secured that victory. God knows the end from the beginning. That's one of the characteristics that makes him God. Back in the... Um, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I was really into basketball. And I would watch the um, NBA playoffs, and we'd have parties, and I'd bring in a bunch of guys, and and uh, it was always fun to get one guy, not more than one, but one guy that roots for the other team so we could make fun of him. And, uh, but unless that, unless his team won, then, then it was like, uh, get out of my house, you know. But I, I was super into it. Like, I, I would, like, break out into a sweat watching basketball. Not playing. Watching. And every time something would happen that was good, man, I would jump up and be like, yeah, take that. And every time something bad would happen, I, I would, like, look for a knife to see if I could cut my wrist. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I know. I take it too far. I was all in, right? I was like, man, I was invested, right? It got so bad that if, and and this is unlike anybody else that I know that's a sports 
nuthead. I'd want to know the end before I started watching the game. We have these things called DVRs. And I, or I would like I would just tape it and then I would wait until I till the end and I would see that my team won and then I would take great pleasure in watching that whole game. If I saw that my team lost, I wouldn't even watch it. I wouldn't waste my time. It's just going to make me upset. And so I would find out that my team won, and then I would just watch it. And every single time throughout the game, the referee made a bad call or something happened that was ridiculously, like, against my team. Didn't even phase me. I'm like, yeah, just wait. It's going to turn around. That's like our life here. We know the end because we serve a God that predicted the end. We serve a God that wrote out the end in the history books that were written prophetically. He wrote history before history was history. He wrote the end before it even started. He knows that he wins. He knows that we win. And every single time the enemy comes and gives us a bad call. Whereas if we didn't know God, we would like fall apart. Be like, oh, it's over. Even if there's only 10 seconds left and you're down by nine, but you know you won, you could sit there all relaxed watching the game with someone rooting for the other team and you could just say, just wait. I know we win. And that's the way our life ought to be because we know that even Jesus being born at this particular, you know, Christmas season was purposeful. It was planned out. And he knows that we win. And since he knows that we win, we have been grafted in. We have had our name changed. We have been given teeth to be a part of defeating the enemy who's already defeated. And that's why we can walk with joy. That's why it'd be like, oh, no, you know, my, uh, you know, what. Uh, my, my, the enemy's trying to come at me with depression. Doesn't matter. Get behind me, Satan, because I have joy. It's done. I win. And actually, that's one of the tools that he gives us in John 14 when he talks about do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. What he's saying is I've already overcome this world. It's already done. Even if your Savior dies, like in about four hours, you can rest assured, believe in me, I'll be raised again. Must be time. Okay, Siri. All right, let's, let's stand up and let's pray because this is an awesome, this, you are God's proof that he is God. You have been grafted in. You should never fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's not with your righteous right hand. That's with his righteous right hand. All-powerful, almighty, the right hand of God. Father God, we submit to you, and we thank you, Lord, that we win because you have already won. There's no question. There's no debate. This prophetic courtroom in heaven is outside of your time. 
It's all read. The judgment has already been sealed. The victory has already been accomplished. And that's why you could boldly speak to false gods and say, present your case. Bring forth your strong reasons. Because your reasoning is truth. May we always submit to your truth, to your word. And even in the midst of a bad call by the devil, we could not be moved, shaken. We will not be cheated by the philosophies of this world because we know you and we trust in you. Praise your holy name, God. I'll end with the very first verse of the next chapter, which (laughs) all of the nation of Israel had overlooked this verse, so much so that when it came to fruition, it required God's intervention in a miraculous way. Actually, it caused God to give dreams and It caused God to do all sorts of things to get his people to believe this verse. It says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles, meaning you and me. Verse 6 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and and, and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. God is the God of both Israel, Jacob, and to you and me. Gentile just simply means anyone that's not an Israelite or a Jewish person. We serve God. We've been grafted into victory. We've been chosen. And he will not cast you away. Amen? Amen. Now go and share that with someone else because the world needs to know this God that has already won. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. We're grateful you spent this time with us and we hope the message today has moved you. Please be sure to join us again next week for another episode of the Salt Church Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you next time.